If you brought your Bibles tonight, and I hope that you have, turn with me to one more, one last time to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy um, chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. I want to begin at um, verse 21 in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Now, I told you that it, there is, um, that the word thyself appears in the scripture. It, it actually appears in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Remember, I, I give you that overview this morning of those three books, and then a more detailed overview of uh, 1 Timothy. Uh, and, and I wanted to... I told you that in those three books, right, those pastoral epistles, uh, that there is, that the word thyself appears seven times in five passages. You see, there's one passage where it appears three times. Uh, that was the, the second one I read to you this morning in 1 Timothy chapter 4. And so anyways, as we walk through this, and I'm going to finish up tonight with the last two, Lord willing, anyways, with the last two passages uh, that contain uh, the word thyself. And between the scripture readings for the last two weeks and then what I have read in preaching, you have heard all, uh, all seven of those, those thyselves, all five passages of scripture, uh, but you, you have heard this um, each time, right? I mean, you, you've heard all of them. Uh, and so anyways, I want to, I guess I was sitting here trying to think as I'm talking, if I sound a little rattle, I, I'm saying that it appears seven times, but I'm thinking that it appears seven times plus the one time in Second Timothy and the one time in Titus. I guess I'd have to go and count again. But anyways, uh, that is every, regardless, the point is, is you will have heard, if you've heard all three of these sermons, you will have heard every time that the word thyself appears uh, in these passages of Scripture. And I think that it actually, um, I know on one hand it, you, it may feel like I'm just pulling this one word out and just working on this one word, but if you look at all five of these passages uh, and, and you think about what has been preached and going to be preached tonight, I think that you will see a synopsis uh, of, of uh, 1 Timothy and, and really of the pastoral epistles. But, but anyways, it is, it, just to remind you as we go through here, right, I started out last week with behave thyself. And then this morning was exercise thyself, and then take heed unto thyself. Now, I'm going to go ahead and read to you, starting in chapter 5, verse 21, and I'm going to read through chapter 6, verse 5, and we're going to hear the last two. But that contains both of those passages, and you're going to hear the last two thyselves, all right? Uh, so you listen for them. Uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, beginning at verse 21, it says, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. Some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men they follow after. 
Likewise, also, the good works of some are manifest beforehand, and they that are otherwise cannot be hid. Let as many, this is chapter 6 now, let as many servants as are under the yoke can um, <clears throat> count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they <clears throat> that have believing masters, let them not despise them, because they are brethren, but rather do them service, because they are faithful and beloved. Partakers of the benefit, these things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, uh, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just humbly come before you here this morning, or this evening. We thank you, Lord, for the good day and for the many blessings. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity you've given us to gather here one more time this evening and to worship you this side of eternity. Thank you, Lord, for our church family and for the roof you put over our head, the nation that we live in, the freedom that we, uh, th that we get because of that blessing that you have poured out on us. We thank you for all of these blessings, but we thank you most of all for your, Lord, for your son Jesus, Lord God, that you sent him and give him so that we might have life. And Lord, I just pray as we go forward here this, this evening, Lord, you know our hearts you know our struggles. You know what we're going through and what we're dealing with. You know what each one of us stands in need of tonight. You also know my own shortcomings. And so, Lord, I just pray tonight that you would move in our midst in a mighty way. In spite of where we fall short and how we fall short. God, I ask that you would move and that you would bless and that you would work through us and that you'd use us here tonight. I pray tonight, Lord, that you would just uh, minister to the hearts and minds of each one that is here. And God, I'm asking, you, you've called me to preach your word and sometimes I don't understand why me. Seems like so many could do so much better. But Lord, in your infant wisdom, that's what you've done. It's your sovereign choice, not mine. So, Lord, I'm asking that you would just enable me here tonight one more time to preach your word. Pray, Lord, that you would help uh, clear my mind of everything else. Help me keep my thoughts focused on you, your word, your message alone. Place on my tongue the very things that you'd have me to say tonight. Lord, just help me to preach. Lord, my desire is to preach under your anointing. God, that's what I want. Lord, I don't feel like I can do it any other way. So help me tonight. Pour your spirit out on us tonight. Oh God, let your presence be known here tonight. Minister to your people tonight. And we'll be sure and give you every bit of the glory. God, we love you. 
We worship you. We praise your holy name. Oh, Lord, if there's any here that don't serve you, don't know you. God, let tonight be the night that that changes. Not only will the angels in heaven rejoice, but so will we. We ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. Let me read to you verse 22 again. Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. Keep thyself pure. If you look at verse 24 and 25, he talks about how some, some men's sins are, are open uh, beforehand. Uh, and others, you know, it kind of alludes towards that are maybe a little more uh, hid, right? But he says that ultimately it can't be hid, right? Ultimately, uh, your sins will find you out. Uh, and even if you think that you have fool, fooled uh, maybe the people around you, you have not fooled God. He knows. And as we went through, and, and I've told you here in these, these letters, and specifically it's First Timothy that we've been working through here, so, as we look at these, remember, again, the context, the setting. Paul is writing to Timothy, a young pastor. He is telling him to keep yourself pure. He's telling him not to participate in other men's sins. He knows how easy it is to get drug into that, right? He knows that sin will, as this old saying goes, that sin will take you farther than you ever intended to go, keep you longer than you intended to stay, and cost you more than what you can pay. And so anyways, he's warning Timothy about that. Now, as we go through the whole book of 1 Timothy, I, I'm saying this again for the third time because I want to be crystal clear. He's commanding or telling Timothy all of these things, commanding Timothy these things, and he's telling Timothy in order to be a faithful and good minister of Jesus Christ, Timothy needs to command and teach these things to the ones that God has put into his care. That tells us that every bit of this, it's not just for Timothy, it's not just for pastors, but it's for all of us, for all Christians as a whole, everything here. And so he's telling us to keep ourselves pure. In other words, Christians are to be godly people. Christians are to be godly people. Christians, godly people. That's the two sides of my, I said it as a sentence, but think of it as an equation. Christians, godly people. Now, I'm going to make a statement that shouldn't be bold, but considering the times that we live in, some might consider it a bold statement. I'm telling you tonight, I don't. I just consider it a, a truth, a fact, the way that it is. I don't believe that you can have one without the other. 
Christians, godly people. I don't think you can have one. I think the Bible makes it clear that you can't have one without the other. That these two sides to the equation, right? I guess there's an equal sign in between them. Listen, there is, do you, have you heard what, and I read a piece of it again. This morning in chapter 4, I read a piece of it. I read a piece of it again here tonight. I don't remember if it was the end of chapter 5 or the beginning of chapter 6. But he is continually warning Timothy about false teachers and false doctrine and, and striving about these, you know, vain things and these uh, uh, talks about ones with perverse minds and they're teaching corrupt things. And he talks about don't get caught up in their sins and participate in their sins and indulge in their sins. There is many today, and it sounds like it's been happening since the time uh, uh, that Timothy was pastoring in Ephesus, right? It, since the first century, there's ones that come along and teach a thing referred to as a carnal Christian. An ungodly Christian, that you can be a Christian, but unholy and ungodly at the same time. I think this is where you have to draw a, one of them lines through the equal sign, not equal. The Bible, I can't find nowhere where it teaches such thing as a carnal Christian. Uh, carnal, uh, carnal meaning worldly. Someone who is uh, pursuing the lust of the flesh, right? What do I mean by the lust of the flesh? I mean the things that you and your natural person, natural man, natural woman, desires to do. The things that all of us, right, all of us have desires and, and urges to do things that we had not to do, okay? We all deal with those things, right? Those thoughts, those feelings, right? Maybe it's, maybe it's anger, right? Maybe somebody does something, says something or whatever to you or to somebody you care about, uh, and, and uh, you, you lose your cool or you want to lose your cool. You want to say things or maybe you do say things, that you shouldn't do, right? That anger and pursuing that anger, right, and lashing out, well, that's what the flesh lusts to do. That's what it desires to do. That's pursuing that. That's being carnally minded instead of godly minded, right? If you are, you know, I'm not talking there's, you know, I'm, I'm not talking an isolated incident where you momentarily... Uh, succumb and then God convicts you and you react to that in other words you you know you are receptive to that and you repent and sincerely repent and you ask God for forgiveness and if you need to apologize to somebody if you said something to somebody or whatever you you do that that that's not what I'm talking about because that's how a Christian should react I'm talking about we justify I'm talking about it's part of our personality. I'm talking about when we glorify it and we say, well, so-and-so, they just speak their mind. 
And we make it out to be like it's some sort of... What's the word? Some sort of... Accolade is not the word that I was looking for, but some sort of positive personality trait. There's a word for that. I'll think of it when I'm in bed tonight and should be sleeping. Uh, but anyways... We, we make it out like, like that's a good thing. It ain't a good thing. You know what that means? <laughs> that means that you're giving in to the lust of the flesh. You're not allowing your tongue to be controlled by the Spirit of God. You're letting that thing run wild. James tells us that it'll start a lot of fires and do a lot of damage. You are looking at somebody that knows all of this from experience, okay? I'm not talking to you about something that I don't know anything about. There's many other lusts of the flesh. I think instantly when we think of lust, we think of sexual lust, and that would definitely be part of it. Uh, pornography is a, is a greater problem today than at any other time in history. Do you know why? That device that... If I was a betting man, I'm looking, I'm making sure before I say this, I, I always make sure the, de the deck is stacked. You know what I'm saying? I don't take a vote unless I know how that vote's going to turn out. Uh, there, there's a little insight into me. That's just the way I play the game, right? If I say I bet you, I already know, all right? I've already checked and checked again and checked again, right? Unless I'm catch me being impulsive. But usually, all right, if it's serious, I know. That's just the way I play the game. So I was just looking to make sure. I think every single person in here has got one. The only person I wasn't sure about was Gary, but I think Gary's got one. You got a cell phone, don't you, Gary? No, okay, everybody but Gary. Gary's the one exception. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have a cell phone. I got one. It's out there in the truck. But I'm saying pornography is a greater problem than at any other time because access to it is too easy. It's right there with the push of a few buttons on your phone any time that there is a moment whenever you think, oh, nobody will know, nobody is around, right? Right? Do you know two statistics I've heard in the last few years that blew me away? One more than the other. And I can't remember the exact numbers, okay? I'll just kind of give you around about, I can give you in general, but I can't remember the exact numbers. But the, first, the one that surprised me some is how high the percentage of pastors is that have admitted to having a problem with pornography. Okay, that's the very thing that Paul is talking to Timothy about here. Okay? Keep thyself pure. Don't, don't participate in other people's sins. 
right? When you're watching that, you're participating in somebody else's sins. So it's I don't remember the number. I want to say it was 40-some percent, but I don't remember for sure. And, I'm, and that blows me away because you think about that for a second. The average age of a pastor is a lot older than Jimmy. I didn't call you old, young, young Jimmy, young. No, seriously, the average old age of a pastor, maybe I'm being too real to you, with you tonight, but doesn't there come a point, I'm not old yet, but doesn't there come a point where that's not as attractive or as much of a temptation? So if you think about that for a minute, if I'm right in my reasoning there, I think I am, then think about the percentage of the young pastors then. It's much higher. If there's 40-some percent overall, then that means of the young ones, it's got to be like 70 or 80 percent. Maybe more than that. Okay, that surprised me a little bit. Here is the one that surprised me a lot more, and I just heard this one last year. I expect, look, without me going into details, you understand the hormones of young men. I'm talking teenage, into your 20s. You kind of expect it to be a, an especially hard struggle for that group. Not that that makes it right, okay? It's just you kind of, you, you, you know, that makes sense, okay? The thing that blew me away is the percentage of women that admitted to having at one point or another having, it wasn't quite 50%, but it was close. It was, I think it was 49% is what I think it was, but you can look me up and, and check me on that. I, I may be off a little bit. Like I said, I don't remember the exact number, but it's close to that. Of women that confessed to having a similar issue or problem. I don't even want to think about what percentage all right I'm just going to be honest with you it shouldn't be this way but I'm afraid that if those same polls were taken in the church and people were completely honest if they knew there was no way nobody would know and, and you know, it, it, just assume people were completely honest. I'm afraid the numbers wouldn't be that much different. It should be, but it's not. I, I give you another example, the divorce rate. You know, you realize the divorce rate is the same inside the church and outside the church? I always talk about this with my, with my people that I counsel with before uh, I marry them, when they ask me to marry them. And so I have all those statistics written down the back of a Bible that I, I share with them. It shouldn't be that way. Now, I'm not looking to point a finger or condemn anybody that have, has been through a divorce. There's all kinds of things. There's all kinds of reasons. Each one is, is individual. I am just saying, as Christians, I'm not saying that you're awful or going to hell if you've been divorced. I'm not saying that. Don't, don't 
make it into me saying that. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying as Christians in general on how we feel about the sacredness of holy matrimony, the divorce rate ought to be different in the church than it is outside the church. Should it not? Is that crazy? Am I out of line to think that? I don't think so. I don't think so. And I know, I, I know there's, uh, and I've counseled with people, abusive relationships and, you know, uh, husbands or wives who, you know, turned out not to be who they pretended to be before. Yeah, I know, I know. And, I, and, I, and I, here's something else I know also. There is always fault on both sides. There is always. I almost always, when somebody's a couple is going through trouble and one of them comes to me, it's almost always all the other person's fault. They've done this or that or that, you know what I'm saying? Um, they might give lip service to, well, I'm not perfect either, but they don't want to talk about how they're not perfect, right? It makes me wonder if they even think that that's really the case. And so I know there's always fault on both sides. I am saying, he is telling Timothy, you have got to be an example to the rest. You have got to be, how do you think you can be a good witness, right? You, you've got to live it. You can't just give lip service. You've got to walk the walk. You've got to live it. We can't have the same, uh, the same rate of divorce in the church as we do outside the church and expect the world to listen to us whenever we say anything about marriage. Right? We've beat our chest and, and screamed and hollered and carried on about same-sex marriage. We know it's an abomination to God, but yet the world doesn't even listen to us. Why do you think that is? Because we ain't doing any better with it. We're not setting the example. We're not keeping ourselves Pure, right? Pornography. It hadn't ought to be that way. It hadn't ought to be as bad in the church. It hadn't ought to be so bad amongst ministers. It hadn't ought to be. You know what I'm saying? But it is. It is. This is what Paul is warning Timothy about. In, in us about right this is what he's telling us if you're going to have an impact right I, i've been telling you this is sermon number three spiritual fitness test right these are things right and, and i understand these may be hard things that i'm saying but what kind of test is it if it's not hard it ain't a test then is it this is a spiritual fitness test how fit are you spiritually and if you find from this test that you're not that fit spiritually, guess what? There's a solution. It's called exercise. Spiritual exercise, right? Exercise thyself unto godliness. Although we are to live in the world, we are not to be like the world. We're to be separated from it. We're not to participate in their sins. As a matter of fact, we are to live in contrast to the world. There should be an obvious difference. 
godliness is always in sharp contrast, right? We're talking black and white here, right? Sharp contrast with worldliness. I mean, we just studied in the book of Matthew when we were going through the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus tells us, right? Tells all of his disciples, all of his followers that we are to be light and we are to be salt. Light is such a sharp contrast to darkness. That's when we were in Sunday school. If you were in Sunday school this morning, it's what we was talking about, that you can see a lot farther if you're looking at light in, in the darkness because of that contrast. Right? He uses that as an example. We are to be in sharp contrast. He tells us in his word, right? He tells us multiple times in his word, right? That we are to, uh, that we are to live in such a way that our, that our good works, that we live them before men, right? That they should show so that they might pat us on the back. No, so that they might glorify God. It tells us that in 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, it tells us that, I was just reading it here in 1 Timothy somewhere where it mentions that as well. We are to resist, right? We are absolutely to resist developing questionable habits and associations. Right? And the reason we are to don't even don't e- avoid the very appearance of evil. The reason that we are to do that is because other Christians might follow our example. Other Christians might follow our example and fall down in that same hole, fall even further. I, I started to mention, or I di- didn't start, I mentioned a while ago about the cell phones. I had a preacher friend, he's a uh, pastor down, and I think he's in Louisiana now, but he used to pastor over uh, Seymour, and anyways, he would always call them uh, cell phones and computers and stuff, snake holes. Now, he had one, it wasn't like he was condemning all use of one, but he called it snake holes. The reason he called it snake hole was that is a hole in your life where Satan can come through, where the serpent can come through. And that's why he referred to, referred to them that way. We've got to understand that thing you're carrying around in your pocket is dangerous. It's a snake hole. And here's the, here is even just as bad or worse as when I said, you know, we're not to develop questionable associations or habits or anything like that because other Christians might follow us in those and their fall may be much greater. But here's a big one. It might also cause non-believers, unbelievers, to see it and use it as an excuse for rejecting Jesus Christ and his gospel. Now, 
they will still be, look, there's a judgment day and they will face God and they will still have to give an account for their own decisions and they will be held liable for rejecting Christ and they, if they, re if they reject Christ, they will be eternally separated from God and spend an eternity in the devil's hell. No question, no doubt about that. But you understand if it is you or I in our ungodly carnal living that's given them the excuse. I think Ezekiel talks about the watchman having blood on his hands. But anyways, listen to me. We'll have to give an account to God as well. Don't think that you can live however and get away with it because we can't. So I'm telling you, Paul tells Timothy and us through Timothy, keep thyselves pure. That means that we might just have to stop doing some things. That's what it might mean to you. Might mean that you just have to stop doing some things. Let me give you a for instance. I spent so much time on the cell phones and pornography, so let me use that as an example. If that is a temptation that you just cannot see, no matter how hard you try, how much you pray, how much you don't want to, that is a trap that you find yourself falling into, I know how handy that thing is, but you'd be better off without it than having it and spending an eternity in hell. Jesus talks about if your right hand causes you to offend, you'd be better off to chop it off than to have it and, and go to hell. If your eye causes you, right? Your, I don't remember if it's your right eye or left eye, whichever eye he said, if it causes you, he said, to pluck it out, right? You'd be better off without it. He's not saying literally pluck out your eye or cut off your hand, but he's saying if there is something that continually is a temptation that you keep giving into and you can't seem to, to, to find the victory over and it is a problem for you, you are better off without it. We might, that's what I mean. We might actually have to stop doing some things. We might actually have to stop going to some places. Listen to me. This is good for all of us, but especially for some of the younger ones. There might be certain people that you're just going to have to stop hanging around. I have had this talk with my kids can tell you this with them over and over. Me and their mother both have while they were in high school. Here's the thing. We want our children to be godly. And we want them to have a godly influence on other children in, in, you know, when they were in school that obviously they went to school with. And so there's a lot of lost kids there, lost kids they were had the, you know, that they were friends with, and that's no problem. We want them to, to you know, be around them and have a godly influence on them, a positive impact for Christ. But here is the thing. Here, here is the thing. You've got to ask yourself. Right? The spiritual fitness test here. Who is having the impact on who? When you, uh, let's say you've got a, let's say you've got this one friend. Let's say they're your best friend. And they are lost, lost, lost. They, the things they say, the things they want to do, you know 
that God don't want you to do those things. Think about those things. Talk about those things. So here's the test. When you two are together, are you having an impact on them? In other words, because you guys are together, they're kind of changing the way that they're talking and acting and the things that they want to do. Or are they having an impact on you? Whereas they're not changing anything, and it's you that's kind of leaning towards or kind of being more okay with these things that you know that God wouldn't want you to do. And if it's them having the impact on you, you need to separate yourself. That's somebody that you're just going to have to quit hanging around. You're going to have to find you a new best friend. I used to joke, Joe, it was, I'm sorry, Abby. Abby was the one that was the world's worst. Well, I don't have no friends. And I'm like, you got Jesus, that's the only friend you need. She hated that. <laughs> Look, it rolls right into my last point, which was the last verse. It says, perverse disputing that I read. Last verse I read, verse 5, chapter 6, verse 5. Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing the gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. That ties right into what we were just talking about. Keep yourself pure. Don't participate in somebody else's sins. From these ungodly people. Now, it's, he specifically went through a whole list of false, uh, you know, false teachers teaching false doctrine. And he's saying, don't hang around these people. Withdraw thyself. Believers are not to get caught up. Right? We look through this passage of scripture here, right? We're not to get caught up in the things of the world. We're not, if we want to get real specific about what was talked about here in, in, in verses 1 through 5 and uh, chapter 6, believers are not to get caught up in arguing over unimportant details because such arguments are, it can be confusing. They're useless and could even be harmful, right? Individual believers and churches, uh, we've got to resist arguing over this kinds of nonsense, right? We've got to resist. This is something I've hammered and hammered and hammered, and I can't do anything about, uh, you know, the other churches that have, uh, that have fallen short in this area, but I can do something about our church here, right? About this church, about Cornerstone, and hopefully it will go on and last long after I'm gone, whenever that may be. Uh, but anyways, we cannot be adopting and chasing Every fad that comes along. It's a thing that amazes me is the church is just as trendy and fad following as the world is. There's, there's a new one rolling around all the time. If you don't believe me, go to the Christian bookstore and look at what the new releases are. They're about the latest fad. And if you don't like that one, hang on, another one's coming around. Nonsense. Foolishness. It is the Word of God, the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God, sound doctrine that builds spiritually strong Christians that go out into the field 
and labor for Jesus Christ. You won't fill a stadium with that kind of, with a church that does that kind of stuff. But that's all right. God didn't call us to do that. He called us to be pure. He called us to be true. He called us to be faithful. Faithful witnesses. Sharing the truth, preaching the truth, teaching the truth. So we've got to resist every fad that comes along. Every... We've got to resist being carried away with every wind of doctrine. Uh, you know, well, I'll just go on. This, this kind of chasing fads and being carried away with every wind of doctrine, what this, the problem with this is, is it is fertile ground. For false teachers. It's fertile ground for them to move in and go to work in. They love to take advantage of these kinds of situations in order to cause strife and divisions, right? To, to disrupt what it is that God is trying to do to cause divisions, to drive people away, to keep people from truly getting saved, to keep people from growing in the Lord, to keep people from serving God, right? Th- this kind of thing is right for that, right? And that is why that we've got to be, uh, we've got to be solid, right? The, one of the thyself, the one that Abby read, uh, last Sunday morning for the scripture reading is in, um, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord, uh, that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and evil babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. False teachers and their so-called truths are like a cancerous tumor in the life of the church and of the Christian. And as they grow, right, why do I like that illustration of a cancerous tumor? Because as these false teachings and these false doctrines, right, and they can so easily slip in. As they slip in and they attach and they begin to grow, they literally suck all of the spiritual life right out of the church and they will suck all of the spiritual life right out of the Christian. And I've heard so many Christians, right, that maybe started solid and, and, and got caught up in some of this stuff, right? And they, and they veer off and they get one of these spiritual tumors uh, that is just sucking all the spiritual life out of them. And before long, you are hearing them see and or, or say, not see, hearing them say and not only say, but next thing you know, they're trying to teach others the unbiblical nonsense. That's why the scriptures I just read, read to us tells us that the only way to get rid of the tumor is to cut it out. Rightly divide. Rightly divide. 
We are to be rightly dividing the word of truth. Right? That means to correctly understand and apply it in our personal lives as well as our church life. For this reason, Christians are to be students of God's word. That's going to be my, I'm wrapping this thing up, that's going to be my altar call for you. Are you a student of God's word? We must study what the Word of God says so that we can understand what it means, so that we can give God opportunity through the Holy Spirit to reveal to us what it is that we need to know, that we need to understand from that, right? We are to study, which, which actually in the context of, of 2 Timothy, study means to be diligent, to make every effort, to do our best, right? To do our best for God so that we will have no reason to be ashamed so that we can stand before him one day in judgment, not ashamed, right? So in other words, so that we can rightly teach and preach the word of God. And it makes it clear that we're not looking to win the approval of men. Right, that's the thing, and that's the attraction to some of these false doctrines and some of these fads. Is with them and through them you can win the approval of men. But the Bible makes it clear that's not what we're looking for. We're not looking for the approval of men, but rather unto God. That's the phrase that it uses, right? Unto God. That is, we want to understand more about God and His will and His workings. So therefore, we want to draw closer to Him. Right? Our desire is to bring attention to Him. Not to us. Not even to, you know, whatever our latest, you know, fad that we're chasing or whatever, right? It's not to bring attention to those things. It's not to bring attention to ourselves. What we're trying to do is bring attention to God. What we're trying to do is praise Him, right? And Him alone, not us plus Him, not our works plus Him, but God alone. And you know why? Because God, one day is a day of judgment. God will examine what kind of workers we've been for him. So I'm imploring you. We should build our lives on his word. Matter of fact, let me say it this way. We should build his word, right? The Bible. We should build his word into our lives. The Bible alone tells us how we are to live our lives. The only place you can find that is in the word of God. The Bible alone tells us how we are to live for the Lord and to serve Him. And listen to me. If you ignore the Word of God, you will certainly stand before Him on the day of judgment, ashamed. Consistent and diligent study of God's Word is vital. Otherwise, we're going to be 
lulled into neglecting God and our true purpose that we're even here. So I told you here this, this evening, my altar call is this. Are you a student of God's Word? Are you a student? Are you? Nowhere in there is there an exception for someone who says, well, I can't read very good. You'll not find that exception. Nowhere in there do you find the exception for the person that says, well, I know I should, but I just have a hard time finding enough time. Nowhere will you find an exception in there for the person who says, well, I try, or I have tried, but I just seem to not be able to understand any of it. I just don't get it. Nowhere in there does God say, read this and comprehend every word that I say, or if you read it, you're going to comprehend every word immediately that's written here. Come on, it doesn't say that. It tells us to study His Word so that we can rightly divide it, right? So that we won't be ashamed. So, I'm not asking, this is not confession time to me. It is to God, though. Now, I got news for you. You already know, so you, you need to come clean and be honest with me. Are you a student of God's Word? No, seriously. Are you a student of God's Word? If not, why not? Do you not believe it? Seriously, do you not believe it? If you believe it, why aren't you? Is there, is there something more important? Really? What is it? What's more important? I bet you ain't got a good answer for that one. I don't. Look, I've not always done like I ought to either. Would you stand to your feet? I want to open the altar and I want to give you an opportunity to come. Spirit of God dealing with you tonight, would you come? You got a need, you got a heavy burden, would you come tonight? Whatever it is, you just come right on. Don't miss this opportunity. Don't, don't lay back, don't hold back. And Look, if God's dealing with you, you just come on. Whatever it might be.